Chapter Nineteen of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Nineteen: The Map's Secret. While all these things were happening to the boys on the seaplane, Curly Carson and Joe Marion were working hard to repair the damage done to their radio phone set by the lightning. With the boat pitching about as it was, and with the wind and waves keeping up a constant din, it was a difficult task. Just what coils and instruments had been burned out, it was difficult to tell. All these must be tested out by the aid of a storage battery. When the defective parts had been discarded, it was necessary to piece together, out of the remaining parts and the extra equipment, an entirely new set. Have to use a two-stage amplifier, shouted Curly, making himself heard above the storm. Lower voltage on the grid, too, Joe shouted back. Guess it'll be fairly good, though, said Curly, working feverishly. Only hope it didn't burn out the insulation on our aerials. Want to get her going again quick. Want to bad. Lot may depend on that. The insulation on the aerials was not burned out. After many minutes of nerve-wracking labor, they had the equipment together again and were ready to listen in. Curly flashed a short message in code, giving the name of their boat and its present location. Then, with the receiver tightly clamped over his ears, he settled back in his chair. For some time they sat there in silence, the two boys and Gladys Ardmore. The beat of the waves was increasing. The wind was still rising, but as yet no rain was falling. "'Queer storm!' shouted Joe. "'Haven't gotten into it yet. Will, though.' and it's going to be bad. Skipper says the only thing we can do is to fasten down all the hatches and hold her nose to the storm. Better see about the hatches, shouted Curly, throwing open the door, letting in a dash of salt spray and a cold rush of wind as he did so. Joe disappeared into the dark. Curly and the girl were alone. The seat the girl occupied was clamped solidly to the wall, it had broad, strong arms, and to these she clung. She was staring at the floor and seemed half asleep. When Joe disappeared, Curly once more became conscious of her presence, and at once he was disturbed. Who would not have been disturbed at the thought of a delicate girl, accustomed to every luxury, being thrown into such desperate circumstances as they were in at the present moment? Not my fault he grumbled to himself. I didn't want her to go. Wouldn't have allowed her, either, had I known about it. Not your fault, his inner self chided him. Suppose you didn't plan this trip? Well, anyway, he grumbled. She needn't have come along, and besides, circumstances have justified my theories. They are out here somewhere, those two boys and since they are, it's up to someone to try to save them. Then suddenly he remembered that he had something to say to the girl. He opened his mouth to shout it to her, but closed it again. Better wait till Joe comes, he told himself. The more people there are to hear it, the more chances there are of its getting back to shore. Joe blew back into the cabin a few moments later. Everything all right? Curly shouted. At the sound of his voice, the girl started looked up, then smiled. Joe nodded his head. "'Say, Joe, I'm hungry,' shouted Curly. 
There's bread in the forward cabin, and some milk in a thermos bottle. Couldn't manage coffee, but toast and milk would be fine. The girl sprang to her feet as if to go for the required articles, but Joe pushed her back into her chair. Not for you, he shouted. It's getting dangerous. Joe, said Curly, there's a small electric toaster there in the cabin. Disconnect it and bring it in here. We'll connect it up and make the toast right here. When the toaster had been connected, the girl, happy in the knowledge that she was able to be of service, toasted the bread to a brown quite as delicate as that to be found on a landlubber's table. Now, said Curly, as they sat enjoying this meager repast, I've got something to tell you, something that I want someone else besides me to know. It's going to be an ugly storm, and the Kittlewake is no transatlantic liner. We may all get back to shore. We may not. If one of you do and I don't, I want you to tell this. It, it will sort of justify my apparent rashness in dragging you off on this wild trip. He moved his chair close to the stationary seat of the girl, and, gripping one of the arms of the seat, motioned Joe to move up beside them. It was only thus that he might be heard unless he were to shout at the top of his voice. You know, he said, a strange smile playing over his thin lips, you folks probably have thought it strange that I should go rushing off on a trip like this without any positive knowledge that those two boys had started for that mysterious island shown on the map and spoken of in the writing on the back of the map. But you see, I had more information than you thought. This I know for an almost positive fact. He leaned forward impressively. The mysterious island of the chart does not exist. Oh! The girl started back. It's a fact, said Curly, and I'll give you my proof. He paused for a second. The girl leaned forward eagerly. Joe was all attention. When I went into that big library, he continued, I was determined to find all the truth regarding that map that was to be had there. While you were looking at those ancient maps, he turned to Gladys, I went into a back room, and there the lady in charge gave me some bound reproductions of ancient maps to look at, and some things to read, among them a volume of the Scottish Geographic magazine. I read them through carefully, and... Suddenly he started violently, then clasped the receivers close to his ears. Just a moment, getting something, he muttered. A second later he seized a pencil and marked down upon a pad a series of dots and dashes. Then, wheeling about, he put his fingers on a key to flash back an answer. It's the boys, he shouted. Got their location. Joe, decode what I wrote there. Then go ask the skipper how much we're off it. He turned once more to click off his message, a repetition of the first one. Then he shouted a second message into his transmitter. Joe Marion studied the pad for a moment, then rushed out of the cabin. All alert, Curly sat listening for any further message which might reach him. Presently Joe returned. There was a puzzled look upon his face. Skipper says, he shouted, that the point you gave me is the exact location of the island shown on that ancient map, and that we must be about ten knots to the north of it. When I told him that the boys were in a seaplane at that point, he suddenly became convinced that there must be an island out there somewhere, and refused to change his course. 
For, he says, if they've been sending messages from a plane in a gale like this, they must be on the ground to do it. And if on the ground, where but on an island? And if there's an island, how are we going to get up to her in the storm that's about to hit us? We'll be piled on the rocks and smashed to pieces. That's what he said. Said we'd be much safer in the open sea. Curly stared at the floor. His mind was in a whirl. Here he had been about to furnish proof that the mysterious island did not exist, and just at that instant there came floating in from the air proof of the island's actual existence, proof so strong that even a seasoned old salt believed it, and refused to change his course. What was he to say to that? Fortunately or unfortunately, he was to be given time enough to think about it, for at that moment, with an unbelievable violence, the storm broke. As they felt the impact of it, it was as if the staunch little craft had run head-on into one of those steel nets used during the war for trapping submarines. She struck it, and from the very force of the blow, recoiled. The thing she had struck, however, was not a steel net, but a mountain of waters flanked by such a volume of wind as is seldom seen on the Atlantic. "'It's the end of the Kittlewake,' thought Curly. You take care of her, he shouted in Joe's ear, at the same time jerking his thumb at Gladys. In the next second he disappeared into the storm. End of chapter 19